The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. In late May, a director was appointed to oversee the excavation and respectful reinterment of children's remains at the former tomb mother and baby home site. The government also appointed a negotiator to deal with religious bodies and to seek from them a financial contribution to the mother and baby institution's payment scheme. But to, uh, to talk about those excavations, I am joined now by Director of the Authorised Intervention Tomb, Daniel McSweeney. Daniel, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Um, you're a man with much experience in this kind of area. Yes, I mean, I worked for the International Committee of the Red Cross um, from 2007 until really a few weeks ago uh, on various humanitarian issues. Um, I, initially, I worked on visiting prisoners of war to look at uh, conditions of detention, treatment of detainees. And part of that is contact with families and then separation of families through conflict. And then from that work, I then moved into looking at the whole issue of missing persons um, because uh, we say that the one wound of war, the one wound of conflict that actually gets worse over time rather than better is a missing person because there is this uncertainty. People don't know what has happened and there's always this suspicion of maybe this person is alive or is elsewhere. So dealing with the uncertainty is something that is very, very beneficial. And I think there's a certain parallel between what I was doing in, in conflict and post-conflict situations and what's hap- what will happen in June. And obviously forensics were part of what you did and forensics will play a big part in your new, new role. Yeah, forensics are very, is very, very, very important. I mean, it's not entirely forensic. There are other aspects to it, but forensics is absolutely key, particularly in Tume, because, I mean, my role is to, uh, or my mandate, I suppose, is to um, recover the remains from the site. And then there's a forensic examination of the remains. And then we seek to uh, identify insofar as possible, um, to individualize the remains insofar as possible, uh, to make findings as to causes and circumstances of death. Um, and then uh, identified remains are returned to families for burial and unidentified remains will be memorialized in a way that will be decided by the families and by, and by the survivors. So that's the end point, if you like. And then there will be a report by the director about uh, the work that has been done. Now, uh, you're going to have to assemble a team. Yes. Where are you with that process? Well, I mean, I just started a few weeks ago. So at the moment, it is me. Um, and I am. Hope, I will hopefully appoint a head of forensics very soon. We, we issued a tender for a head of forensics a few weeks ago, and we're very close to completing that. Um, I need to gather um, you know, administrative staff because I have a budget of 12.5 million from the state. I'm responsible to the Oireachtas. So I'm really at the very start of putting together all of these different things. Uh, we're also looking for a lab premises because we need somewhere where we actually can take the, the remains that we recover from the site in order to examine them. I need to have an IT system. And this, I mean, I'm setting up... Um, with You're the, really at, at um, the, the, the starting gate at the moment. At the starting gate, yeah. Now, uh, and with the help of, 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 of Minister O'Gorman's department, we are mm-hmm. setting this up. Now, you need to find people who can excavate with sensitivity. Now, we know archaeologists mm-hmm. are well-trained in, in mm-hmm. doing this kind of work. But in terms of if they find Viking remains, for example, in Dublin City, the same kind of reverence Mm -hmm. probably is not necessary Mm -hmm. as would be required for the bodies of children who have died in our own time. Absolutely. Uh, The... Whenever I'm talking about this, I'm very aware of the sensitivity because we are talking about the loved ones of people who are alive today. um, And... It, the, the discussion becomes very quickly a forensic com- conversation about bones and things like that, but these are people's loved ones. I mean, I think we need to be cognizant of that. So in terms of the, the people that I will hire, that I will need, I think we will need people who have had 
experience abroad on um, large commingled, commingled means when remains are actually mixed sure. together. Um, These are mass graves yeah. as a result of war. As a, mostly as a result of war. So the people that I'm seeking will have, I hope, worked in those types of situations. So people have worked in the Balkans or in the Caucasus or Cyprus or places like that where there have been a lot of experience. People who've worked with organisations like the International Committee of the Red Cross where I worked or with the UN. So I think part of the team will be people with that background but equally there were a lot of people in Ireland with very very good skills and I think we can fit these 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 groups together and in addition to the the, the work that I'm focusing on which is for the families in Tume and for the people of Tume I think we will also develop a capacity in the country in the event that decisions are taken to do other exca- excavations in other places. Now before we talk about the identification process um, what information do you have about how the remains were buried? Some obviously mm-hmm. in graves but some in this uh, septic tank that we heard about, not that it was in use at the time, but it was just an empty septic tank that was used to dispose of human remains. Well, what we know for sure is that there is this tank, um, which is in this memorial garden. We've all seen the pictures of the memorial garden in Tume, and that there are 20 chambers in that tank, and in 18 of those 20 chambers there are remains. Now, how many and in what state, we don't really know, because photographs were taken, but nothing else has been done. So that's one place. And we don't know how many are there. Now, there are other places in the tomb site because there is the memorial garden and then there is a playground. So when I visited that site with Catherine Corliss, um, she indicated that, you know, I think there might be something here and might be here, might be here. In 2017, they did a um, ground penetrating radar yeah. review and that shows certain anomalies. Speaking to um, some people in Tume now, I've spoken to Franny Hopkins, who was one of the children who actually discovered the site in the 70s. And there were other people I will speak to. They have different ideas about where places might be. As I said, Catherine Corliss herself has maps and uh, has mm-hmm. various ideas. So we certainly will excavate the, the, the tanks, the famous um, tanks, and that, that's a priority because that's a very inappropriate place for remains to be. But we also have to look elsewhere. And then working with a head of forensics when we when we appoint this person, working with a, a head of the I mean a forensic archaeologist who will be in charge of our site team. Together we will put we will develop a plan and then we will proceed according to that. Do we have some idea as to the totality of children who died? Well, what we have at the moment is this, the the figure of seven hundred ninety six, which is the number of. Um, children that were for whom Catherine Corliss found a death certificate um, and for whom she did not find a, uh, a record of a burial. So that's the starting point. Now, for me, there, there, are, there are three pots of data in this. The first pot is what we get sort of from research, um, archival and all of that. So uh, these, the records kept by the nuns at the, the time. The records kept by the nuns. And there's been an awful lot of journalistic work and, um, and academic work done in the last 10 years. We will certainly look at that. Um, and that's the first pot, if you like. The second pot of data is what we collect from the families, mostly DNA um, and DNA from close relatives. And in a conflict situation or situations where I've dealt worked in the past, you would also collect information about, you know, jewellery or tattoos or a broken mm. leg or, you know, uh, dental records that would also help to identify. But I think in this case, there's not going to be very much. Um, and then the third part of data is what we actually recover, the remains. And then the process after that is um, this multidisciplinary reconciliation of these three parts of data. And that's how you come to identifications. Mm. Um, in terms of the records held mm. by the nuns, how comprehensive are they? I haven't uh, begun to look at them yet. I mean, th- this is something that we will have a, 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 a researcher or even a team of researchers looking at all of that because 
The Mother and Baby Homes Commission of Inquiry has looked at a lot of this information, but they had a very broad question. I've got very narrow questions, which are identification, individualization. Sure. And you, you're talking about, at this point, 796 remains yeah. um, for whom there, there was no death certificate, um, but they... No, there, so there is a death certificate, but there's no record of burial. Exactly. 796. Yeah. How many children went through the home uh, in total that... Because there'll be people who know that a relative was in the mother and baby home Mm -hmm. and they may be hoping against hope that their relative's child Mm -hmm. was not in the either those who are recorded as being buried or in the 796 who died definitively. But they'd be hoping they were in the the adopted cohort. I mean, this is a question that has come up in my meetings with the families. Um, You know, there, there is... I mean, in, in part, it's a hope that maybe this person went to America um, yeah. and was adopted in America, but there's also an uncertainty. And I think a, a lot of people want to know the truth and they would like to know, OK, my relative did die and we know what happened or um, because the alternative is this this big, this big question mark. So uh, some people have brought that to me. I mean, we will look, as I said, at what the archives say Um we have the picture, the, this, the figure of 796 as a starting point. Um, if we can answer some questions about that figure and adjust it somehow through the, what we find in the archives, we will. Um, and even the identity in the yeah. archives provided by the nuns, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there is no certainty, I suppose, that the name given to the child mm-hmm. refers to the name of the mother. I mean, who knows what way they kept their records in those uh, early times often mm-hmm. the, the fundamental thing was to deceive possibly or um, to protect yeah. you know they, they might have been mm-hmm. wrongheaded and think I mm-hmm. will protect this girl who's going back out into mm-hmm. the community mm-hmm. and no one need ever know that she was the mother of this child and I think there I mean there is if things were done in that way there were limits to what we can uncover you know 80 90 years later so we will certainly look at the records that are there and see if that can shed any light on the questions that I have. And I think the records may, might also help us to answer uh, the other questions about causes and cons- causes and circumstances of death, uh, those, those types of issues. Yeah. How long do you think this process will take? I mean, you're mm-hmm. yet really to begin. So mm-hmm. are we looking at years and years and years? I think it depends on, okay, well, first of all, I think in, in about six months, I will have a better idea of a time frame. Um, because I will hopefully have prog- proceeded on or made progress on the startup phase. Um, it really depends on what we find. Now, if we talk about an identification program, if a very small number of close family members come forward, then the identification program is necessarily very small. If a huge number come forward, then it's, it's very big. So that, that's a time factor. When we recover the remains, how many will we recover? What volume of remains will there be? Will DNA be actually recoverable from these these bones? Um, and if DNA is recoverable and we have a lot of relatives, it will take a long time. If DNA is not recoverable and we have very few relatives, it will be a very short yeah. identification. But you're process. hoping to shed as much light as possible. Therefore, mm-hmm. um, you will be asking at a certain stage mm-hmm. for relatives to come forward and Absolutely. offer DNA. Now, yeah. when will that process begin? Um, I think, again, I, I, need, I, I have this figure of six months in my mind in order to say but not yet but it's not yet but I think maybe if there's two things I would say is well, the first is really two, two family members who, 
people out there who believe that they have a family member buried in tomb, please be ready to come forward when the time is right. And we will have information in the local press and in, in, on the internet in lots of different places if you want to come forward. Equally, if, you're a, if, if you think you have a relative in there and you don't want to come forward, we have to also respect that. And I think that's, that's maybe a unique thing about tomb yeah. versus other places. And then the second thing that's, I think, important is... I need, I want to have and will have, I think, a, a relationship with the people of Tume who will be affected by by the work that's going on because, I mean, the burial site is just surrounded by houses um, and I will have a first meeting with the county councillors uh, from Tume and the TDs from Galway East next week to really begin a dialogue with the representatives of the people of Tume and which will eventually lead to a discussion with mm. the people themselves. Um, often these days, people locate distant relatives they didn't know they had through mm. these DNA yep. sites where people uh, put their DNA mm. uh, in a sample and suddenly someone finds a long-lost adopted yep brother or sister, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, will there be any process by which people, uh, where you might just mm. lodge all of this data in some site and mm. that it just might throw up a relative or yeah. would you prefer that the initiative comes from the other side, always from the families? I think the initiative has to come from the families because there are... Privacy and sensitivity in this are very important. So we have to respect the fact that there may be a mother out there who had a child and then um, went on with her life and, you know, got married, has other children and, and now has a completely new life, if you like, and nobody's aware of, the, of this this first child. And if, for example, that mother does not want this to come out, we have to respect that. So there's the, 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 there's a difference between this situation and, for example, post-conflict situations where I've dealt with, uh, that I've dealt with, because there is the, the the reality that some people may not want to come forward and we need to respect that. So how we balance all of that with the existence of these types of websites is something we, we need to figure out. But privacy is, there's a balancing of privacy and sort of the public good in this. Right. Well, uh, it's very important work that you're uh, commencing and uh, <laughs> strange to be in a job and you don't know where the time horizon lies. But it, that's uh, the mm. way, that's the nature of this particular uh, project. Daniel McSweeney, Director of the Authorised Intervention at Tomb. Thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.